Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly roundup of all that's important in the hotel investment space, brought to you by the usual tag team. On my left is Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and I am Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst. And we're starting this week by reviewing our thoughts after listening in to the um, Deloitte annual European Hotel Conference, which uh, was online this year. Um, but it did seem that by and large, uh, confidence is up. Um, we heard the kind of broader economic situation is looking pretty robust. Things are bouncing back quite nicely. That That's putting hotel leaders uh, and hotel investors in a good mood. As usual, Deloitte did a little survey of investors to discover which uh, British and European cities are perceived to be the best for investing in hotels. Amsterdam came top in the European rankings and Edinburgh top in the UK rankings. They also pulled in um, a couple of senior financial figures, including uh, Kevin Jacobs from Hilton and uh, Cameron Reid, the uh, Chief Financial Officer for EMEA at, at Marriott. The pair of them were very interesting in, in what they had to say about where they see things picking up. They're not overly concerned about the uh, loss of potential loss of a bit of business custom because as Kevin Jacobs pointed out if economies are growing then so is the the overall hotel uh, landscape and uh, things are, are going to be looking good and of course the other thing is that financial directors are, are, are quite keen at looking at the savings that they've been able to strip out during the pandemic as well so all set reasonably fair I think yeah broadly i think it's set fair i am much less convinced that they're gonna have this wonderfully new lean operating model once we see the uh, <laughs> wage price in particular the cost of labor shooting up um i think they'll do well to stay ahead of that with their newfound sort of efficiency measures they've got so i, I don't think um there's some new paradigm that we've reached in terms of operations um, I am hopeful that we will see at last some genuine productivity improvements within the service sector and in our particular bit of the service sector um, uh, and technology will be put to work um, finally to to drive that um, which will be helpful but I think this is there's going to be a huge um, ongoing uh, re sort of positioning in terms of how much we have to pay labor versus how much um, capital gets so I think this is a long-term shift um, which I think the industry is going to have to accommodate but it can accommodate that because I think it's going to be able to push its prices up mm. um, and we're seeing that time and again that there actually there's very very robust demand um, and we've we've talked about the nature of the the demands that we've got coming out of this many times but just to quickly recap on that what we're seeing with this this current demand it, it is uh, a snapback this is not uh, a, a, a recession that's been caused by a demand crisis it's a recession caused by a supply crisis and as the ability to supply gets fixed the, the, the it comes back very very quickly indeed so it's you know looking at the past is not very helpful guide when the, all the past previous recessions were caused by demand crises mm. so you know you look at uh, what happened following the global financial uh, crisis of 2008 um that is clearly a, a, a huge demand crisis. Even 9-11, which, you know, 
there is a bit of a supply issue in there in terms of the planes had to suddenly stop flying but that that was actually fixed relatively quickly and the underlying crisis there was actually a a, a demand uh, problem caused by the tech bubble tech 1.0 um bursting um so that was that and obviously the 1990s recession again was caused by a demand crisis not this time around though so this time around the recovery is very different um and i i you know i'm gonna sort of toot our own trumpet here a bit chris and and say you know here at hotel analyst we we <laughs> we were early in saying this is a very profound and very deep downturn the likes of which we we've, we've never seen before in the sector um people you know if we look back to march people were talking about oh we'll be able to you know all come out of this in june july we were much more pessimistic than that than that and we said this is a a multi-year um, problem um and we've also been early in calling the upside um and how robust they are. when you know this is almost well a year ago now um when we first had vaccines much earlier than we feared i mean back in march 2020 the, the consensus was we want we're not going to see vaccines for 18 months two years plus um some even suggesting it's going to take the sort of 10 years that some other vaccines have taken i mean you know science rode to the rescue here and and had delivered those vaccines and i think we're going to come out of this um thanks to those vaccines omicron um notwithstanding i think i think we're going to see a clear blip over the next month or two but um, my own feel on this is that uh, actually we're going to come into sort of post easter into a roaring recovery and you know there are signs that there's uh, you know going to be a very very robust um, recovery as we come out of this um i think um you know in in terms of how the the sort of opinion has divided uh, across the sector it's summed up again this is something we've covered before but it's split sort of at, at one side hilton's chris nasetta talking about a golden age of travel and you've got Accor's sebastian bazan talking about a permanent impairment of business travel we're very much more on the nasetta end of this this argument um i think it's going to be uh, a very robust recovery not all operators uh, will come out of this though um, you know the rising economic tide is not going to float all boats um, those operators unable to improve efficiency unable to to utilize that tech I spoke about a few moments ago are going to be the victims as we come out of this and I think it's going to be we're going to go later on I think talk about in this podcast about debt um, and I think that is going to be a, a key dynamic of this recovery as as we get going um the the, the massive problems with with some uh, owners and operators in terms of their balance sheets um are going to have to be fixed um and some of them aren't going to be around in a in a year or two now i've been running the rule over some uh, businesses that are taking to the markets to help fund their next stage of growth um, and uh, looking in particular at uh, Sonda, who have been uh, 
uh, on the way to uh, to listing via a uh, reversing into a SPAC in the US market and also looking at uh, Soho House which has recently done a full listing on the US market although of course they're now known under their new corporate name of the Membership Collective Group um, which is Soho House and a few other of their kind of uh, associated uh, linked brands. Um, they have continued to uh, open Soho Houses and, uh, and similar kind of properties around the world uh, through the pandemic uh, and now they're kind of all back and open uh, they've got a queue of people keen to sign up for memberships and uh, membership fees are generating quite a decent amount of uh, the, the total revenues that MCG enjoys at the moment did uh, but they don't have to be in the black right now because they're spending heavily on further growth although I'm sure they'd like to move to a situation where they do much more asset like growth uh, they've done uh, that recently in, in New York where they've signed up a uh, the former Nomad Hotel which they're going to be rebranding in due course and reopening um, but it did strike me as we looked at the numbers uh, that here's a business which has got quite a lot of tailwind uh, particularly the, the the number of people that want to become members uh, and they're getting them queued up and uh, not letting them in too quickly yeah i think there's a fundamental flaw at the heart of the soho house come mcg business model however um and it's this that its allure comes from its unobtainability mm. um the groucho marx crack that he would never join a club that would have him as a member <laughs> sums it up um and it's how how do you balance this maintain you know maintaining the exclusivity yeah. aspect of soho house yeah. while growing yeah. and can you get to a scale that actually delivers the profits it's promising those um, shareholders um i i think that's a quite a tricky balancing act i think if they remain tightly focused on their clubs and being vertically integrated in their clubs driving it as a uh, real estate play it's you know i mean in terms of buying those lumps in major gateway cities and delivering above average returns thanks to the membership model um the operating capacity the operating abilities of the the membership clubs then i think yes they can deliver the sort of margins and scale potentially that they need i'm slightly more nervous when i see them dallying into areas such as they, they've got this homewares thing soho uh what's it soho home um and i just don't you know it, it gives gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit i look at that and i think well this could go badly wrong because you're taking you know if you if you make it so commonplace you take away the allure and the specialness mm. um and here's one for you chris do you remember pierre cardan now mm -hmm. you've seen those yeah. it's almost every market has those tacky <laughs> you can get a pierre cardan yeah. wallet or a pierre cardan umbrella yeah. can't you for Absolutely. like 50p yeah. um uh, you know and, and i think there's an article in the harvard business review in 2005 it said how not to extend your luxury brand right. and he was talking <laughs> about pierre cardan and this is the risk i think yeah that um mcg has. well obviously i'm thinking about um, car brands you know uh people like aston martin and bentley are trying to trying to kind of uh, grow their brands by making different varieties of car but uh, you know a an SUV Bentley doesn't, you know, 
doesn't seem right yeah. and I mean you know how many people to be fair I think there's still a couple of hundred thousand right okay it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit different to buying a, I don't know a, a mug with Soho House yeah. on it you know yeah. from <laughs> if you see what I mean so I, I think that's the that's the risk mm. element there if 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 um I think the, that that article in the Harvard Business Review actually said look if you, if you go into adjacent um uh, in a sort of product areas you're, you're fairly safe so the classic one with luxury of course is to go into stuff like perfumes mm -hmm. that's the thing you see um where which is all about the high margin etc etc it's when you get stuck start sticking your logo on anything and everything that moves so you start seeing a you know a bentley branded umbrella or a bentley branded cap other than <laughs> the, the odd one that's sold through the uh, um the owners club or something that that that's when you start having problems yeah. i think and this is where i think um soho house stroke M mcg have to be a little bit careful um yeah I, it, it's a tricky one I, I i think the valuation as i think we're going to come on to talk about some other things um have somewhat shot ahead of um where where it where they could potentially be um I'm, I'm not convinced at all that they can build a uh, a sufficiently scale business based on this sort of exclusive model i think if you keep it tight you can have a very tasty high margin business but trying to spread yourself too widely i think that's when you have problems now we're talking uh, to several people in the banking sector this week about uh, what's going on currently in the whole lending landscape and um, it does seem that while the traditional banks are busy nursing and looking after their existing customers and helping them through covid and and organizing and dealing with the administration of covid related loans um the 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 coast has been left a little bit clear in terms of funding new projects and fund refinancing existing projects uh, for the for the uh, upcoming um, and, uh, Oak North, Lumi, and Synergy are amongst those that have been making hay. And uh, we were speaking to the people at the team at Oak North this week, um, who in the last few weeks seem to have lent nearly a hundred million in terms of uh, supporting new and recently completed hotel projects. Um, and uh, they certainly are, they're, they're, they're very clear about it. They're not as cheap as the traditional high street banks, but they are at least available and they are quite good at deciding whether or not uh, they like the look of your project. And if they do, then you get your decision and you can crack on. Uh, so the kind of lending landscape seems to have changed a bit for now. Um, and if you want to get the funds, they are out there. You just won't be able to get them quite as cheaply as you might have done two years ago. Yeah, it sort of makes sense. I mean, there's long been a, a an issue with debt finance. It's very pro-cyclical. It amplifies the peaks and amplifies the troughs of any, any business cycle. Um, I mean, to use uh, the old joke that <laughs> banks only lend you an umbrella when the sun is shining um and that in many ways it's understandable why they're doing that because they're in their sort of low risk business um, um that that's why their return um on their equity is significantly lower than you know the the kind of returns that 
um, private equity or opportunity funds etc are seeking or indeed the kind of returns that these new challenger challenger banks are seeking as they enter uh, a slightly more risky uh, lending environment but uh, the good news is as you say Chris we've got these banks here mm. now um, and it does help smooth out that cycle a yeah. bit I think but certainly you've got to be prepared to, to to pay for it I mean from a high street bank perspective um i don't think they've got a lot to worry about i mean uh if things do go a bit wobbly um over the next few years they'll look good because they haven't actually gone out there and 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 risk uh money um, and if things go well um the high street banks are just going to be very busy refinancing all these deals that the the challenger banks have have put in place so you know that there is still a role for these for both sides here mm. i think so um I mean, quite how it all plays out, you know, this is what fortunes are uh, are made from. And, uh, you know, over the next few years, it's it's a tricky tightrope. We've got this huge weight of money waiting to come into the hotel sector. And this suggests that their values are going to hold up. um, um, And, you know, debt finance will eventually be available in quantity at reasonable prices. Um, But that is a risk um if things don't work out if there's an, if there is another bump in the road uh, omicron like mm-hmm. but worse i don't think omicron is going to prove to be that bump um but say say it does or say there's something that is proved to be that big bump then you know the challenger banks won't be looking so clever and um the high street banks will so i think you know and challenger banks need to be paid for taking that risk right now so this 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 all makes Mm. makes sense i think um in terms of the market and it's a it's a welcome um i i think you know entry um into the overall health of the of the mm. sector and interesting also that uh, you know there are still some sectors that uh really have to go uh, a little further afield to get their capital um with um with news that uh, clink the uh, hostel operator have, have actually settled on a loan from bain capital to uh, fund their next two um, hostel developments in, in Dublin and Lisbon. So there's, there's a solution out there for everyone. You've just got to build it into your spreadsheet and uh, the cost is what it is. Yeah, and uh, you know, the high high risk and you know, hopefully yeah. high return. Um, that, that's <laughs> that's a, and, and if you haven't got a high return um, opportunity, you're, you're not, not looking so, so attractive right now unless you unless you've got mm. certainty um a few people can promise that right now yeah. so it's a tricky tricky Absolutely. environment now we're going to head on to our five star and no star awards and andrew you're awarding five stars to uh, a very topical subject well yes yeah, so christmas parties <laughs> they suddenly come come into fashion i think um now of course in the uk government have this wonderful problem right now in terms of um did you have a party or didn't you have a party and there's just some fantastic memes running around at the moment on the on the internet all about all about this it's uh, very very amusing but at a more serious level i think it, it, it makes it well there's two ways of reading this i've given it five stars because i think it makes my view is it makes it harder for the government to credibly turn around and say we're going to be having more restrictions (laughs) going forward given how they clearly at the heart of government totally ignored them last time around when they (laughs) arguably were more legitimate um they are much less legitimate um in my view this time around anyway because i don't think 
omicron is you know we have had no as far as anybody can tell no deaths yet from omicron and the early signs out of south africa are that it um, is actually less uh, deadly um in terms of having serious disease and de um, certainly no deaths um than the delta variant so this is the great news and if this sweeps across the world and wipes out the more deadly variants this is fabulous news and it it really is it marks well, the you know the, yeah. the end of covid really as as, as yeah. a problem um so and, and i think you know it's very hard to say oh what we're going to have to unless we have a total shutdown um which is the only only you know when you've got a thing that is spreading significantly more contagious having a few you know mask mandates and vaccine passports i mean what's the point of a vaccine passport when it's shown that you can infect people who are vaccinated just as easily or almost as easily as people who are unvaccinated and that you can go out and transmit them so what's the point in a vaccine passport i don't get it i mean other than making some some bizarre kind of sort of compulsion point and we're going to get into the territory of um, continental europe where we've got mandatory vaccination which i think is a sort of a terrifying personally at a personal liberty level i mean i'm not against vaccines by any stretch but i think at a personal liberty perspective i have great qualms about the approach being taken in places like mm. austria and uh, reportedly uh, germany now so i i think there's there's real issues here but um in terms of the five star piece yeah let's hear it for for christmas parties and hopefully the the signaling of the end of this horrible get their um, books period. get the revenues rolling uh and now we're going to do no stars this week for um the capriciousness of markets i guess yes so this is the other story we've got in this week's issue which is uh about um iwg the the regis uh, amongst other um office brands um serviced office brands versus WeWork's valuation and the incredible gap between the two of them um and i think you chris do a great job in your piece of exploring you know sort of the the iwg case that actually you know we're a bigger business and we're profitable um unlike we work and yet we're rated mm. so much lower um i think um the, the the challenge um that uh, um iwg has i mean it, it, I, in the ft piece um you sort of quoted from chris but i, I looked at also at that and they said there was another um person described as a um iwg insider mm. and she or he said either we're too low or they're too high <laughs> or we're both um i, I think the problem is simply that we yeah. work is too high and i think the valuation to, uh, i look at conventional metrics and it, at the end of the day this you know uh, this is a fairly straightforward business um the iwg valuation looks mm. pretty reasonable fair well, I, I wouldn't say based it's on a revenue stream at all by and large yeah with, yeah with exactly yeah profitable um, revenue stream. Yeah. whereas the <laughs> yeah quite and whereas the we work one is just bonkers and it's this sort of tech snake oil <laughs> nonsense that somehow there's there's magic going to yeah. come out of here um and essentially it is you know it is nothing more than an yeah. arbitrage it's you know selling short yeah. and buying long um and we know where that ultimately ends up we've seen that time and time again with different different business models and this you know we work had a bit mm. of a crunch somehow mm. survived it but I don't think anything has fundamentally changed, and I, I you know, and I don't believe the snake no, oil well, they're selling. No, just obviously the WeWork share buyers are smoking the same stuff as the people who 
buy Airbnb shares and Tesla shares. So, um, you know, there seems to be sort of a, a, a thing in the market. This is dreaming, dreaming about uh, the magic of these so-called tech businesses. But uh, they've all got lots of liabilities. Yes, and it does sort of slightly trouble me if we talked about Tech 1.0 crash <laughs> in the early 2000s. I, I suspect that we've got a Tech 2.0 crash heading our way at some point. Um, yeah, who knows when? If I knew, I would uh, be very <laughs> be rich like person. Mad. Okay, well, on that happy yes, note, indeed. we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>